Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open with me to Philippians chapter 2. And we want to welcome those of you online with us. And we want you to make sure you are grabbing your Bibles as well. Philippians chapter 2. Um, this is our third week in Philippians 2. And it's going to be our last week in Philippians 2. Uh, there's so much here. Uh, I didn't want us to uh, skip over that. And not give time to uh, this text in particular. And uh, actually, uh, we're, we're primarily going to be in verses 19 uh, through 30. And uh, before we get there, uh, I actually want to go back near the beginning of chapter 2. Um, because here's the thing. When Paul writes a letter, everything's connected. And in fact, this is exactly why I hope and pray you're engaging with our Philippians challenge through this series. If you haven't, start this week, read through the whole of Philippians every week, one time. It's four chapters, just once a week at minimum. Read through this because there's so much you will miss if you don't intentionally stop and read the whole for what it is, okay? And Paul is writing specifically here to the church. Everyone say the church. He's writing to the church and he's writing to encourage them, but also to equip them and to challenge them to keep doing what they're doing. And there's much we can learn from this. But in the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, here's what Paul writes. Verse 1, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also... To the interests of others. Now we talked about this a few weeks back. And I uh, remember stating to you this is one, probably one of the most challenging pieces of Philippians 2. When we think practically about this current day and age. That the command of scripture and the encouragement of Paul to the church was. Make sure that you aren't just thinking about yourself. But that you are intentionally taking time to think about others. Now he goes on from there and he gives us the most powerful example of selfless humility and sacrifice. Which is Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. He was the example and the powerful truth in this. 
is that God did not simply give us, church, a list of commands to follow. He gave us Christ to follow. He has given us a living, breathing example by which He not only tells us this is how we should live and this is who we should strive to become, but He has shown us in Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people who really likes when the instructions give me pictures. Who are my people that are with me? Okay? Yeah. Man, if I have a picture, and I blame growing up building Lego for this. Right? Because there were no words. You didn't have to read to build Lego. It's amazing. You get an instruction booklet, you open it up, and there's a picture, and it shows you, it tells you this is how many you need of which pieces, and then you, this is the shape that you're to create, and you get all done, and woohoo, there it is. I'm the same way now. You give me a piece of furniture, and my goodness, some of those pieces of furniture, they have the most ridiculous pieces I've ever seen in my life. Right? The, some of the hardware that comes in those things, it's like, how do, who thought up of it? Who thought this up? It's just, it works, but I, I wouldn't have thought this up. But if you just give me a list of instructions, man, it's overwhelming. But show me a picture. And I guarantee you I can cut the assembled time in half. Maybe not in half. That may be a little too bold. <laughs> and there's something ingrained in us that There's a powerful entity when we not only hear something or read something, but we see it modeled. And that's not only true when it comes to our spiritual lives. That's been true. If you were to look back across your life, someone has practically modeled for you every aspect of who you are in some way, shape, or form. You did not, you were not born with the innate ability to accurately use silverware. Seriously. And in fact, if you were to bring someone from another place that has never seen silverware in their life, you were to bring them here and sit them down at your table, for one, they may not have any idea why you're sitting them around this giant block of wood. Right? But then you use some utensil to eat. They're probably just going to use their hands. Why? No one's ever modeled for them anything different. Scripture employs a powerful teaching tool for practically how are we to live and speak about the good news of Jesus. But here's the thing. Unless we are willing to model it for another generation to come, We are making assumptions that they will become something that we are not if we're not modeling it and living it out. Jesus was the example, the practical image for the church so that we're not just looking at each other. There's a piece of that, but more specifically, we're together fixing our eyes on Jesus. And it is why when someone asks me, why do I need to read the Bible? Because you need to know the one you're supposed to be being like. You have got to read and see how did Jesus speak and live and then say, how can I model this as well? 
Now, the reason I'm bringing this all up at the beginning is because Paul goes on, and I'm going to jump now to verse 19, because he gives the church two real-time examples for them of guys who are living this out. And so he moves from not just Jesus is the example of this, but more practically, I want to give you a couple names of guys who are doing this, who you know, who are present right now in person with you. So we're going to start in verse 19, and I'm going to read, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to start by reading through verse 24, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit, and then I'll move on from there. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So this first guy we're introduced to is a guy named Timothy. Everyone say Timothy. The first time that we are introduced to Timothy is actually in Acts. Acts 16, 1 and 2. Paul says he came to Derbe and Lystra, a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And it's at this point that Paul begins doing ministry alongside this guy named Timothy. And in fact, in your Bibles, if you were to read the letters of First and Second Timothy, this is Paul's specific encouragement and exhortation to this young man in ministry. Now, something about Timothy. Oftentimes, when we think about Timothy, we tend to think of him only as this little kid who's being discipled by Paul. Now, while there's an element of truth to that, as you read and go through your Bible and all the instances that Timothy is mentioned... Paul saw him as a fellow partner in ministry. There was none of this, oh, you know what? I'm just going to do this because Timothy, he's young, he's still learning. We're going to, you know, we'll send some of the more experienced people. Paul didn't see it this way. In fact, he saw it quite the opposite, that here was this guy, and upon first meeting, he was clearly identified as a disciple, And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Timothy was an established follower of Jesus. And then Paul takes Timothy and comes alongside and thrusts him into even further ministry. There's profound application here, church, as we emphasize the importance of youth and children's ministry. But there's also a really grave warning here. Paul consistently encouraged Timothy to be like Paul as he was seeking to be like Jesus. In other words, Paul's desire was that Timothy would continue the ministry work of the gospel in the same way that he was seeking to continue the ministry work of the gospel. Model it. Live it out. And Timothy has been proven to do so. And so that's what we see in these next verses where He says, I hope to send Timothy to you. Why? That you may be cheered by news, by 
that, that he may be cheered by the news of Philippians. So Paul's strategy here is, I want, uh, I want to know what's going on more practically, and I trust Timothy to be able to give me observations about that. But there's also these celebrations of Timothy's character. I have no one like him who will be, what, genuinely concerned for your welfare. And the concern on the other side is, all these other people seek their own selfish wants, their own selfish interests, instead of seeking the will of Christ. Paul's celebration of Timothy highlights an important characteristic of a servant of Christ. And it goes right back to the beginning of Philippians chapter 2. Why is this important? Because Paul, as he identified in the earlier phase of Philippians 2, is saying you need to be concerned not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Who was the greatest example of that? Christ was. And you see the systematic follow-through of this is that just as Jesus modeled what it looked like to love and serve and give His life, for the will of the Father. So now, here is Timothy, one practical example of a guy who's seeking to do the same. And it's become visible to the church. Wow! He's seeking the will of Christ. And as a result, they knew, the church of Philippi knew about Timothy's proven, it was proven worth. He's proved himself in this way. And he served alongside Paul at the gospel. Understand, the letter in Philippians, chapter 1, verse 1, says Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy are both together writing this letter to encourage the church at Philippi. We just tend to say Paul is writing it because of all the other letters Paul writes. Well, Paul very clearly identifies he's not the only one writing this letter. There is a camaraderie, a togetherness, a dependence on one another for mutual growth and encouragement in Christ. Now, there's a second guy here. So I want to read up further in this. I want to read verses 25 through 30 and see what Paul says about this next guy, Epaphroditus. Verse 25, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Now pause for a moment. I want you to pick up on something. Epaphroditus was a guy who was sent by the church at Philippi to Paul to encourage and meet his needs. That's what verse 25 identifies. My brother and fellow worker, a fellow soldier, and your messenger... And minister to my need. But apparently he had fallen ill. So 27, verse 27. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So here Paul is identifying, I am so thankful the Lord spared Epaphroditus. Because he is such an encouragement to me in ministry. That it would it would be Sorrow upon sorrow, both for the ministry of the gospel work that's going on through him and for my own relational, personal well-being. I'm thankful. Verse 28. 
I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So here is the second guy, Epaphroditus, and in fact, he emphasizes this again in Philippians chapter 4, which we haven't gotten to yet. But in Philippians 4, he says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So I want you to at least mentally make a notation to identify Epaphroditus was a member of the church at Philippi who was sent on a mission to encourage and resource and equip Paul in the work that he was doing. And now he's still with Paul in some sense. We know Paul's in prison, which we're going to see him identify next week in Philippians chapter 3. But here is Epaphroditus and Timothy, co-laborers with Paul, filling specific roles, not only in a servant sense, as Timothy's more concerned for the other people than for his own needs, but Epaphroditus is willing to even give his life. Paul identifies that he almost died for the sake, for the work of Christ. Verse 30, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And when we think about this, I want to give you three kind of specific applications of this text. And I wanted to start by highlighting the character of these guys. But there is, there's even more here that we need to be able to grapple with from a real practical side. How do we model and live this? Broad covering, we've been talking about how do we have a joy that remains full. And our series idea has remained consistent in the sense that a fullness of joy is found in glorifying God. That means I'm going to have consistent joy when my joy is found only in the Lord. What does that look like? It means I find my greatest joy. I strive to find my greatest joy in pursuing what God in Christ has called me to and what I can see lived out in the person of Jesus. Practically, how do I do that according to this text? The first thing, celebrate people, not programs. Notice something about Paul's language in this text. Notice that nowhere in the midst of this does Paul celebrate the amount of ministry that Timothy or Epaphroditus has done. Nowhere in the midst of this does Paul even bring up that, well, you know what, because of Timothy's ministry, there's been 30 people that have come to faith in Christ. He doesn't say, Epaphroditus... He supplied all of our ministry needs, and as a result of that, we were able to feed 50 people. He he doesn't talk about that. Now, this does not mean that those things can't be important, but I am here, church, to tell you it is not the main thing. And Paul models this. What does he celebrate in these texts? He celebrates the people who are faithfully living it out. He celebrates the individuals who are not just verbally saying, I love Jesus and I'm committed to his work. He's celebrating these guys who are doing it. 
And so practically, who can you intentionally acknowledge or appreciate this week? Who can you celebrate? A very practical step. You want to find a really practical way to be full of joy? Every day challenge yourself to see how many people you can appreciate in different ways. I guarantee you will be a lot more joyful of a person than you were yesterday. Celebrate people. Number two, cultivate a servant's heart. This is so clearly modeled in Paul's life, in Timothy's life, and in Paphroditus. Timothy, he's not concerned about his own needs. That's not his motivation for doing ministry. It's, it's because of Jesus. He's going to live it. He's going to serve. He's going to be involved. He's going to be present. Epaphroditus, he continued his work and mission even at the threat of death via illness. He's I'm committed to the work of the gospel. And Paul is sitting here in prison for the sake of the gospel. How do we begin to model that? We start cultivating and asking the question, what does it look to, like to serve like Jesus served? And then practically, how can I serve someone else this week? Those of you who are married, this is a really easy answer. You serve your spouse this week. Practically speaking, that's just like bare minimum. And honestly, if you came up to me and told me that, I'd say, yes, now pick someone else too. Okay? Because that should be a given. You, you, your call in Christ is to serve your spouse. To serve them well. Because of what Jesus has done for you. But guess what? This doesn't have application just in those of you who are married. Those of you who are single. I want to tell you, you guys who are single have the greatest potential for investment in people. And that's exactly why Paul said, I wish that more of you could be like me. And I heard a speaker once at a conference, and he said this, and I thought it was fantastic to keep in mind. He said, every intimate relationship you add to your life is a notch out of the potential that you have to serve the Lord in Christ. And what he means by that is, if you get married, now you have a responsibility not just to serve Christ, but to serve your spouse. And then if you have kids, you have a responsibility, every one of them, you have a responsibility to disciple them in the Lord, to grow them up and train them up in the way they should go. And that means you, as a result, you have less time. And I can't tell you the number of people who have sacrificed their family because they've been married to the church. Not okay. And I use this as an example to say, those of you in families, invest in your families. Don't neglect the body of Christ, but don't neglect your family. But those of you who are single, my goodness, you have so much opportunity. Those of you who are students right now, you have so much opportunity and you don't even realize it. That you can walk and live in this, you can serve people at a level that many others cannot in the season of life they're in right now. Some of you, have adult kids that are out of the house. You have so much more opportunity than some people. And there's many weeks that those of you who are in that phase of life, I envy you from a time standpoint. I often tell people it's all reversed. Right now, when I have three kids that are under the age of nine, I need more money and more time. 
right? And then you get to retirement age, and at that place of your life, you have, you, well, most people I talk to are retired, say they're busier now than they ever have been. That being said, in the broad scheme of things, that's when you have generally more money and more time, okay? And I'm going, it needs to be the other way. Like, But I say all of this to emphasize, okay? We have a call to model the servant heart of Jesus in everything we do. Cultivate a servant's heart. This does not happen naturally. You are born in sin. You are not born a servant. And that is exactly why Jesus modeled a servant's way of living. And he told his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, just as I love you, so you love one another. And this was as he washed their feet. And he modeled this. The third one, depend on one another. Who can I send or mobilize today? And we see this most practically modeled both ways. In this really cool emphasis that Paul identifies, you know what? I'm gonna, I, I really want to send Timothy to you and you guys sent Epaphroditus to me uh, all to encourage and kind of equip and help each other. There was no one person who was more important than the rest. Guess what? In the family of God in Christ, every one of us is at the same level. Every one of us is at a place of being ridiculously unable to stand before the presence of God and in need of a Savior. And the one thing that unites us is Jesus. Now, practically, I want to give you a visual. I haven't given you a visual in a really long time. And I want to give you this visual so I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a couple people to help me, okay? So get ready. I'm, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. If no one raises their hand, I'm gonna call you out. Now everybody's squirming. Oh no, he's gonna call me out. Okay. <clears throat> I haven't done a visual in a long time. I'm really excited. I'm gonna borrow this. I'll put it right back where I found it. Okay. I need to start with one. Someone help me. One person. All right, Eric, get up here. That's great. Come on up. Those of you who don't know, this is my oldest. This is Ariana. Okay? All right, so practically speaking, here's generally how we tend to think about investment and multiplication. Okay? I want you to hide behind this best you can. Bend down, okay? So I'm working, I'm working in my, in my gifting, in my place. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to invest in and raise up some other people. So, right, you're growing. Raise up now. Go ahead. Right, great, okay? And now you're flourishing. I'm going to say, you're equipped, you're mobilized. I'm going to send you over here, okay? Now I need someone else. I need another person, okay? Come up here, Dugan. Come on up. Okay? With that model of what's happening, okay? Come on up here. Now you've got to hide behind here the best you can. Okay? It's okay. She can't see him. All right? I, if, I'm, if I'm operating that model of ministry, now I have this investment, okay? Now I, I'm going to say, I'm going to work out hard, I'm going to invest, I'm, now I'm going to raise you up. All right, so go ahead and stand up. Okay? All right? And I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you out. You go that way. Okay? 
All right? Now, the reality is, every one of these investments is dependent on my time and my resources and my gifting. And it takes a long time of investment to get to the place of sending someone out. Unfortunately, this has been the model by which we have done church for decades. Where we mobilize a pastor and we say, it's your job. We're, we're going to pay you to do this. And to invest and raise up people and send them out like, we're going to support you. We're here. Rah, rah. We're going to cheer you on. But you're going to do this. But I want you to get a different picture, okay? I need like three or four people now. Okay? Three, three or four more. Okay, Janine, come up here. Go ahead, Eli. And Asher, come on up. Go ahead. Come here. All right? Okay. Come on up here. Now, I need one of you over there and one of you over here. Okay? All right? And Janine, you come here. All right? And you come here. Now, I want you guys on the ends. Go ahead and hide best you can behind those. Nope, nope. You guys are already mobilized. You stay standing. Eli, you get down there. Asher, you get down here. Okay? You go ahead right here, right here, okay? And so if we're going to say Janine, Janine's been raised up here, and now go, go back over there. Now Dugan's over there, and he's invested in someone else, and he's raising. So now Eli, you're going to stand up, and you're going to stand up, and we're still investing here. You're going to stand up, and now I'm going to send Janine over there to encourage those people, and Ari's going to send Asher over here. He's going to encourage us a little bit. And I'm going to send you back over here. You're going to encourage them. And you start to see that when this actually takes form and shape, and we see every one of us has the opportunity to invest in and send people out, but that we need each other, multiplication starts happening at a rapid rate. Because now it's not purely dependent on my abilities and my giftings and my structures, but we're intentionally seeing that multiple people are being equipped in multiple places all around the world. And we may not even have a glimpse or an idea of what God is doing powerfully in the lives of other people through other people. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat. Give them a hand, okay? <clears throat> But here's the kicker in this. We need one another. And we need one another in the same way that Paul identifies that Timothy needed to go to the church of Philippi to encourage them. And Epaphroditus had come to Paul and Paul was preparing to send him back to encourage him. There is a mutual partnership that has to happen. Why? Because we fix our eyes on Jesus and we experience the transformative work of Him in our own lives. And we desire and strive to pass that on to another and another and another. And then that person does another and another. And before you know it, thousands of people are impacted with the good news that there is salvation in Jesus' name. So I want to encourage you, church, Celebrate people more than programs. Be intentional with it. Cultivate a servant's heart every opportunity you have. And then depend on one another. Quit putting on a face when you come to church or when you're around church people. Because you putting on a face is absolutely not what Jesus did. 
He was honest, transparent, vulnerable, and his will was to do the will of him who sent him. May that be the pattern of our family here. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to sing one more song together. Father, I thank you for your grace and your faithfulness. Thank you that you are a God who understands so much greater what we need. God, thank you that you have called us. Thank you that you have gifted us. I pray that you would help us to employ the same disciple-making strategy that Paul so clearly modeled as he mobilized and sent and other churches sent and mobilized and encouraged people to go. Father, open our eyes to see the opportunities you've put right in front of us to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. God, give us the boldness to make initiative, take initiative to invest profoundly. All of that relying upon what has already been done for us in Christ. Father, thank you for being merciful and patient with us. We are a stubborn people. Father, thank you for the forgiveness you give us when we choose our own selfish ways over yours. Continue to bind us together now for the sake of your name and for the very gospel message, good news that we hold right here. It's through the powerful name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. Let's...